Well, as Memorial Day calls us to remember those who've given their lives in the battle for freedom, I don't think it's inappropriate to acknowledge those who have lived through that battle. If you have served our armed forces, would you stand up today so that we can recognize you there at the theater, also at Commonwealth 20? Go ahead and stand. Many people all throughout our congregation here and in Midlothian, we thank you. Thank you for your service. Yes, Memorial Day calls us to remember, doesn't it? Calls us just to to pause. Obviously, I guess the best idea is that we remember every day. But certainly we have a day that causes me, calls me and you to, to stop and realize, hey, we enjoy a lot of things. And that was provided for by a constitution of the United States, but that's words on a paper. It was the blood of American soldiers, U.S. soldiers throughout American history that have protected that constitutional freedom and secured that constitutional freedom. They died in battle so that you and I could, could worship, so, so that we could bear arms, so that we could speak. Can you imagine a concept? We could speak against a standing government. These are the kinds of freedoms that you and I enjoy. But you know, I I think while we know those various freedoms that we have, I think when we as America think about our freedom, it's something much simpler than that, maybe much bigger than that. We're just talking about the freedom to live, aren't we? Man, the freedom to live and to hope. Well, we have the freedom to, to work and to raise a family in the way that we choose. We have the freedom to drive a pickup truck and eat apple pie. We have the freedom to work and hope towards something better for our children. A a particularly American idea and a good idea. I think many of us would say an idea worthy of people laying down their lives. But that does cause us then to stop and ask, how are we honoring How do we honor those who've laid down their lives so that you and I could travel to church today without any thought of somebody seeing us? How do we do that? A parade? Fresh flag on the the grave? Patriotic themed service? A moment of silence? You know, I was thinking this week about some of these things. I'm not, a, I'm not a soldier. I don't have a child that was a soldier. But I, I started thinking about some of these traditional ways that we honor. And to be honest with you folks, if I'd had a child die in battle, I don't want any of those things. I, I, I don't want a patriotic song. I don't want a moment of silence. And I don't want a parade. I want my child back. Man, a, a human life's a precious thing, isn't it? They didn't lay down that live to get a fresh flag on their grave periodically. How are we using the freedom for which they laid down their life? 1.3 million U.S. soldiers, men and women in American history, have laid down their lives for this freedom that you and I enjoy. 1.3 million People, are we using our freedom in a way that is worthy of them laying down their lives? You know, I asked that question today for this reason, because I don't think we are. 
I don't think as a nation we are using our freedom in a way that is worth the price that they paid. Now, that, 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 is, a, that is an opinion. That, that is a statement I am making. But I think we shifted somewhere maybe about 50 years ago. Where the pursuit of freedom was a pursuit of something good. And it was a pursuit of life. And yes, as Americans, we might have even disagreed on, on what was good or what a pursuit of life looked like. There, there would be disagreements over that. But there was still something good about that fight, about that struggle for freedom. But, but I think something, something shifted about 50 years ago. And, and our pursuit of freedom became a pursuit to do whatever I wanted to do without any challenge of right or wrong. Is, is that why people have died? Is that why 1.3 million soldiers died so that I could live any way I want, so that I could do whatever I want? That seems like the ultimate sacrifice for the ultimate selfishness. Y'all see that connection? How, how, do, how does that work? Is that worthy? of their lives. Now this question that we as Americans might stop and ponder about are, are, are we living worthy of their lives? What are, we, what are we doing with the freedom? While we might stop and remember that on a Memorial Day, of course the believer, American or not, always grapples with this thought, doesn't he or she? We, we always grapple with that idea because long before there was America, there was somebody who laid down their lives for us. Are we living in a way that is worthy of what Christ did for us? Now, when I ask that question, are we living in a way that is worthy? I'm not asking, are you, living in I, are you and I living in a way that, that pays Jesus back? Are, are we living in a way that somehow makes us deserving of what Jesus did? Because that won't happen. We can't pay him back and we'll never be deserving. But the New Testament does call on us to live in a way that shows the worth of what He did in our lives. The New Testament calls us to that. Are we living in a way that demonstrates that worth? Are we doing a good thing with the freedom that has been given to us by Jesus Christ? He freed us from sin and death and hell by His work on the cross. He freed us from guilt and condemnation. What are we doing with that freedom? And you and I can freely pursue Christ. Now this is where the, the theology of the New Testament intersects with something like a Memorial Day. Because U.S. soldiers have laid down their lives so that you and I can pursue the call of Christ with little to no thought of government or cultural interference. Do you realize what a wild statement that is? That's almost unheard of. Did you know that the New Testament assumes that you and I are going to be hated? Did you know that significant portions of the New Testament are about how you and I deal with, with, with politics, how we deal with culture attacking us? It deals with persecution. 
I was reading in my quiet time this morning. It was just what, what I was reading today. I didn't read it in plan of this sermon or anything. John 16, and Jesus ends that chapter by saying, hey, the world's going to hate you. That is the common experience of the believer throughout history. That is the common experience of the believer in our world today. Do you realize that you and I have been given a free pass? We pay almost no cost at all to follow Christ. Certainly not in terms of being arrested. Certainly not in terms of ever having to to give our lives. We've been given a free pass to freely pursue our Christ. What are we doing with that freedom? What are we doing with the opportunity to follow Him at such little cost? Now, to answer the question, if I'm living in a way of worthy of what Christ has done, if I'm, if I'm living in a way worthy of what soldiers have laid down their fries, lives so that I could pursue Christ in a way that is worthy, I, I have to look at, well, what is it Christ called me to do? I'm not the one who determines if, if I'm living in a way that's worthy. That, that's based on what Christ called me to be and to do. What Christ freed me to be and to do. Now, there's probably a couple passages, Uh, maybe the whole New Testament, actually. But there's probably a couple of passages, a couple of different ways that we could approach and look at what Christ has freed us to be and do. I thought today we might go back to to the very simple call of Christ on your life and on my life. The original call of Christ, if you will, on your life and my life. To see if we're doing with our freedom what we should be doing. Let's look this morning at Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 14 to 18. Mark chapter 1. Second book into the New Testament. Matthew, Mark. Chapter 1. Look at verse 14 there. It says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Folks, you and I have been given a unique freedom in our nation, in our laws, in our government to pursue this call of Christ on our lives. If we're going to live worthy of what Christ has done, we're going to do these things. If we're going to honor the lives that have been laid down so that we can do this freely, then we're going to do these things. What are these things? I see four things that Jesus calls us to. You saw them there. Repent, believe, follow, and share Christ with others. Four things that I think guide. Am I doing with my freedom what I'm supposed to be doing? Let's consider these four words just for a moment this morning. That first word, repent. The, the, the word repent, we hear that a lot, don't we? I mean, that's, a, that's kind of a common church word. Repent, it simply means change of mind. It's made up of two Greek words, metanoia, metanoia, to change the mind. 
We change our mind about this idea that is so natural to us. We change our mind about this idea that I can do whatever I want. That I can live however I want. That the highest goal in life is what I want. We change our mind about that. We change our mind about the authority of Christ in our lives. Seeing Him, acknowledging Him, knowing Him as the Son of God, we recognize, we change our mind that He has total authority in my life, total authority to speak into any and every area of my life. Repentance is not feeling sorry for our sin. The repentant will feel sorry for their sin, but that's not what repentance is. The reason that is the case is because you and I have, you and I can feel sorry for our sin with little to no commitment to change our thought about that sin. With little to no commitment to not return to that sin. So repentance is not just feeling sorry for sin. Repentance is not confessing sin. The repentant confess their sin. But it's not just confessing sin, because here again, we can confess it and return right back to it. That's not repentance. Repentance is not saying the sinner's prayer. You say, well, what's the sinner's prayer? Most of you know that. And that's that that first time that we call out to Christ. That, That first time that we understand Him to be the Son of God. We understand His work for us on the cross we turn from trusting in ourselves. We, we change our mind that I, I can work this out. I, I'm going to be good enough. I'm going to make this happen. We, we turn from trusting in self and we change our mind and we put our faith and our confidence in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and His work for us on the cross. It's that moment that we're forgiven of our sins, given eternal life, that we become a child of God. The sinner's prayer is often the door we walk through to that moment. But repentance is not just the sinner's prayer. Repentance might begin with the sinner's prayer. But the sinner's prayer is a moment in time. Repentance is a way of life. We're constantly in a way of life where we're changing our mind to the mind of Christ. Now, we're not repenting so that we can be free. Folks, without the work of Christ on the cross, we don't have the ability to change our mind about who Christ is. We don't have the ability to change our mind about sin and self. Christ died. Christ freed us so that we could repent and change our mind to decisions that are right and good and have eternal benefit. And if I'm living worthy of what Christ has done for me on the cross. If I'm, if I'm seizing the freedom that soldiers have paid for with their blood. I mean, I've got a lifestyle of repentance. The second thing Jesus says, that repentance goes with belief. Belief and repentance are kind of like two sides of the same coin. They, they, they go hand in hand. You, you, you do one, you're doing the other. You're never without them. You, you see, I change my mind about the authority of Christ... Because I believe that He is the Son of God. I believe that He has all authority. Now, a problem I think we see in in our concept, in our understanding of belief is is that quite often we kind of reduce belief down to to very little more than just mental acknowledgement of some ideas. Oh yeah, I believe in that. I, I believe Jesus is God and that He died on a cross and... He rose again. Yeah, I'll sign off on that. 
Now, now it may not have any impact in my life. You, you see, we just, we just kind of reduce the belief to, yes, I acknowledge that. Yes, I, I'll go for that. But when you go through the New Testament, you never see belief described as just something that we give mental acknowledgement to. As a matter of fact, belief is always linked with action. It's always moving. It's moving because I believe in God. I am moving to what God has called me to be and what God has called me to do. Man, when you, when you go to that, that Hebrews chapter 11, we call that the hall of fame of faith, don't we? Have you ever heard that? Hebrews 11 called that? And, and it just lists biblical character after biblical character after biblical character and what their faith did. The operative word I just said was did. Everybody whose great faith is listed, it's what their faith did. Nowhere does it say, and Noah signed off on these ten belief statements. Moses said, yeah, sure. I mean, you got to believe in something, right? No, it's what their belief moved them to be and to do. And folks, when we are walking through the door of repentance and we're walking through the door of, of belief, we are going to become followers of Christ. That, that is the action that, that belief and repentance is going to lead us to. We are going to begin following Jesus. There's nothing in my intellect, there's nothing in my strength that enables me to follow Him. There's nothing in my spiritualness or my goodness that enables me to follow Him. But no, it was His death on the cross that enables me, that empowers me, that frees me up to follow Christ. You've heard me say before, I... I believe in the United States church, there is a devastating acceptance of, of an idea that we can call ourselves followers of Christ with little to no thought of following Him anywhere. I, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. Where do you follow Him? Ah, well, I guess actually nowhere. We're not a follower if we're not following, right? And that's not just a big idea. That's not just a title. It means that every day of my life, everywhere I go, I'm not walking with Jesus behind me and I'm not walking with Jesus beside me. Jesus is in front. Hey, Jesus, I'm getting ready to take a step into my marriage. Where do you want to go in this? And man, when I open up the New Testament, I see that if I'm following Jesus into my marriage, words like service and sacrifice and submission and unconditional, those are going to be the words that describe how I follow Christ into my marriage. If I follow Christ into my finances, I, I open up the New Testament and I realize, hey, Christ does have something to say about my finances. He says, give to God what is God's. Well, how many times we want God's blessing, we want God's favor on our finances, we need God help with our bills. Now, God, I want you to bless us. Now, I'm not going to follow you anywhere in my finances. I'll take the lead on that. I'll do that by my design. We follow Christ to our workplace. Hey, that's your workplace. All those people up there, the lost, the saved, they're all yours. I'm following you in what you want to do in this place and in their lives today or up to the school. I'm following you into my dreams and my hopes. I'm following you into my fears and my failures. I'm following you into my priorities. And what we find here is that when you and I are following Christ into any relationship, any situation, any decision, any place, that when we're following Him, ultimately there is one big thing that is going to happen. We're going to make people fishers of men in those places. 
You know, as I studied that passage, I thought that, that, that reads to me a little bit awkward. You see, repent and belief and following, man, those are the big ideas of, of being and becoming a Christian. Now, now, witnessing, that's one of the things that you do. I mean, you witness and you pray and you go to church and, you know, we tell the truth. We got a list of things that we do, right? But Jesus seems to take that one thing, making others fishers of men. If you follow me and you will become. He lifts it up there at that, at that big idea level. I think if the priority of my life, if the priority of every day, if the priority of every situation is not the opportunity to see somebody become a follower of Christ, I think Jesus might suggest I'm not actually following Him. Because He puts the two right together. Now folks, watch here again. This is, I think, where our New Testament theology and the idea of Memorial Day kind of intersect. Because you and I can leave here today and we can go out into our world and we can go into wherever this week is going to carry us and we can take opportunity to tell somebody about what Jesus means to us. About what Jesus has done for us. We can take opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can invite somebody to church next week. And not a single one of us will pay a price for that. We don't have any threat of being imprisoned. We don't have any threat of death. And folks, this is what has cost millions of believers their lives all throughout the centuries. And we've gotten a free pass on it. This is what soldiers died for. To give me the opportunity to freely talk about Christ. And folks, I would dare say, if I am not talking about Christ... If I am not freely following Him, then what an utter hypocrisy to have a moment of silence. What a hypocrisy to wave a little flag. That's not why they died. It was for something much bigger and something much greater than that. Folks, I'm not against ceremony. This is, this is not a message against ceremony and moments of silence and flags, parades. But that's not why they spilled their blood. Are we using the freedom that's been given to us? That we have today. I'm beginning to question how long we will have that. But we have it today. I would imagine there's a number of you in this room like me that are very concerned about the moral direction of our nation. You're very concerned about the moral climate of our country. You and I look around at how others are using their freedoms or what they're suggesting they have the freedom to do. You and I are looking at that and that, that gets us anxious. It gets us worried. Maybe it makes us angry. Some of us will just, you know, we'll get all Twitter pated and leave it at that. Others maybe will get angry and we'll get politically involved and legally involved and we'll fight how others are using their freedom in an immoral way, in a wrong way. Folks, I would suggest our greatest opportunity is not in fighting somebody else's freedom. I know that statement's kind of ripe with, wait a minute, what did you just say? Let me finish. 
Our greatest opportunity is not in fighting how somebody else uses their freedom. Our greatest opportunity is in seizing the freedom we have to be and do what God has called us to be and do. If we would freely choose today to repent, freely choose today to believe, freely choose to actually follow Him somewhere, and share the love of Christ. Will we? Folks, do you realize the great variable on 2013 is not will sinners sin? I will guarantee you that sinners will sin. The variable, the question is, will followers of Christ actually follow Him? And therein is our opportunity to have our greatest impact on this country. Christ died on a cross so that I could follow Him and live in a way that has eternal impact, worldly impact. We live in this strange experiment of a country that said, and you can do that with no cost from all of us who hate you. What are we doing? with our free pass. Can I say one more time, if I can't even invite somebody to church, how in the world do I think going to a parade honors the blood of 1.3 million U.S. soldiers? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning and this day, this weekend, particularly tomorrow, is a solemn moment. It is a sacred moment. It is a moment where we stop and realize that that people have given their lives for our well-being and our benefit. To give us certain freedoms. And we might like the freedom of speech and we might like the freedom to bear arms, but certainly as followers of Christ... There's hardly a second place to the freedom to worship. The freedom to pursue Christ as our New Testament calls and challenges us to. God, I pray that we might stop and consider that the, the situation is our, in our nation is not because of sinners sinning. That's, that's always been the case in the world. That's always been the case in every nation. Sinners sin. The opportunity a nation has to rise above that is when followers follow. Lord, would you help me, help us get as excited and energetic about how we're using our freedom to follow you as we get excited and angry about how others are using their freedom to deny you. Lord, I believe I'm in a room with with good people. People who love you, people who love your word, people who love the church, who love what is right and good, the things that you love. God, would you show us how we take that outside these walls and 
and walk it and live it and breathe it. So grateful that I can do that in freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.